following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. So in this passage, Jesus is going to explain to us uh, and begin unpacking some of what it means to be and live life in the kingdom. And essentially, uh, the, the, the gist of his message is that to live in the kingdom is to live in the light. And, and you see that in the image of the lamp, and we'll see what that means. Um, and in the light of doing his will. And if we're doing God's will, it means uh, a big part of that is going to be the word. Uh, Living under God's rule and his reign, doing his will, means we need to be interested in what his will is. And God has explained his will, his purpose, and his plan quite thoroughly in Scripture. And he leads us other ways. But primarily, uh, if we're going to be people in the kingdom, it means we're going to be people in the word. Um, but but here's, here's the reality. Okay? And we're going to look at how Jesus unpacks this. But, but here's, a, here's a problem I see in the world. Uh, among especially Western cultures, this would not be true in, in Thailand or Asia in many places, but among Western cultures, there is a lot of Bible, right? We have endless translations. Uh, we can read it. We can listen to it. We can watch YouTube videos of it. We can listen to it dramatizing with music, right? There is no end of preaching, there's all kinds of good churches with all kinds of good Bible teachers. You can podcast and listen 24-7 to excellent, great sermons. And a lot of people spend time listening to many sermons. There are books. There are Bible studies. Uh, most people who are in Western churches know that they should be reading the Bible and studying it on their own. And that's great. But the reality is that for all of that scripture, uh, I would say, not only me, but I think a lot of people would say, that very few people exposed and overexposed to God's word are really being radically transformed by it. Right? Whose lives are really being shaped to be like Jesus. And even in our own community, and uh, please be, be patient with me for a minute, I'm not condemning or blasting anybody, but take the missions community, right? Um, places like the well and Cornerstone are packed, right? They can't keep enough people, right, Kathy? Why? Because all these Bible-saturated missionaries are struggling, right? And their lives are full of problems and sometimes failing and falling apart. Now, if you're here this morning and you're one of those people uh, and your life is falling apart, please understand, I am not condemning you. And neither does God, right? God wants to meet you in your struggle, uh, and so that's a good place. And, uh, and, and the reality is uh, we've kind of read. This is how I think we've redefined Christianity kind of in the modern view. It's, it's this. To be a truly spiritual person means you're messed up, but you're honest about it. Right? As long as you're honest, well, you're, you're, you're in a good place. Now, there's some truth to that. Okay? If you're messed up and struggling, please don't keep it a secret. Don't hide it. Don't, don't pack it away somewhere. Get help. Be honest about it. That, that's a good thing, and I'm, I'm all over that. We should be honest and transparent about our brokenness. What, what I see as a problem, though, is that we've accepted brokenness as the ideal condition of what Jesus saved us for. Like we're just supposed to live our whole life broken and messed up, 
right? And uh, we will go to our grave saying things like, well, I'm broken and messed up and I'm just struggling with sin, but praise God, I can be honest about it. Is that what Jesus meant by walking and living in the kingdom? Lord, I hope not, right? I hope not. I hope that what God calls us to and what Jesus saved us for, what, what it means for us to live life in the kingdom is that we don't live our whole life messed up, right? That, that something is happening to us where we are being changed and transformed into the likeness of Christ so that we live like he lived because we're becoming like him, right? Um, so... So, so when Jesus talks about this life in the kingdom and what he explains here, uh, I believe he would say it is possible for us to get our life together. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Anybody up for that? Right? That we don't have to live forever struggling. Right? And, and like I said, if you're struggling, it's fine. But don't feel and please don't settle for that as just the way it is. Right? God wants something more. He wants you to get past that and live a life that is fruitful and successful, a life in the kingdom that is good, and we are, where we are being holy as he is holy. Right? Where we are a holy, godly people. And, and honestly, I, you know, the statistics don't bear out that that's where the church is, especially in the West today. That we're overflowing with these godly, holy people whose lives are together and their marriages and families are together and they're, they're really uh, living godly lives. And, and I think Jesus is, is saddened by that because that's, uh, as we'll see, not what he, he called us to with life in the kingdom. So let's, let's see what Jesus says and, and uh, uh, why just the word by itself doesn't seem to be working. Right? Um, Starting off in verse uh, uh, 27, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Uh, but he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Um, so, so the scene is Jesus is, is in this huge crowd and it says the crowd's growing. There's this massive crowd growing and growing. And um, the, the, the beginnings of some hostility are in the air. Some of Jesus' enemies are starting to be a little more aggressive in testing him, and that was the passage before. They're challenging his authority and his word. But this dear saint in the audience loves Jesus, and she wants to say something nice. So she says, your mom has got to be like the happiest woman in the universe. And there's, there's some truth to that, right? Uh, we love seeing our kids succeed, right? Um, this summer I got to watch my grandson play football. He's like six years old. It's basically watch children get dressed up in pads so they can fall over, right? Pretty much all it is. And every once in a while they actually touch the football and then fall over. Uh, and then everybody else just jumps on them. And they call that like little league football. And they're super cute. And it's fun because the parents, like, they get so excited. Did you see that? He, he caught the ball right before he dropped it, right? They're so excited. They're cheering. They're excited because it's fun. It's, there's, there is a blessedness in seeing our kids succeed and do well. And as they grow mature and, and figure things out, parents are proud of their children. And there is huge blessedness and delight in that. Well, you can imagine Mary's delight in seeing Jesus. You know, like, yeah, my son raises dead people. Ha, <laughs> beat that, right? I mean, she's, she's got something to be proud of. 
And no doubt Mary was, was very blessed to have a son like Jesus, right? There's great joy in that. But notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, yeah, that, that may be good and true, but here's something that's far more blessed than that. Blessed, happy, joyful are those who hear my word and keep it. Life in the kingdom is not to be a life of misery and gloom and depression. God intends for us to have a life that is blessed, where we are experiencing joy and happiness, and not just trivial happiness, but deep-rooted happiness in him. And he said the way we will do that is because we are attentive to God's word. Uh, We are in the word. We are hearing it. Um, we are uh, exposed regularly to all those things we talked about, Bible study and preaching and teaching. Uh, but, but hearing is not enough. He says you also must guard it. You must keep it. And this was a common term that was used for keeping the law. And it implies obedience, but it's, uh, it's a word that in English we miss the significance of. Uh, the word literally means to guard something, to keep watch over something. Okay, and in this passage, watching and eye words are really important. They're not accidental, right? He says uh, to guard the word is to keep a close eye on it, right? And it's a picture of somebody who has a, a treasure or maybe perhaps a prisoner or something that needs close watching so that it doesn't get stolen or we don't lose it or it, it, uh, it disappears, right? So it's something that's of value to us that we treasure and we want to hold on to. We don't want to lose it. So we pay close attention to it. We look after it. We watch out for it. And that's what he's saying here. He says, blessed are those who hear the word, but when they hear it, they attend to it. They pay attention to it. They take a close look at it. They treasure it. They guard it. Um, and, and, And he says, that's what it means to be a person in the kingdom, a person who's in the word and whose word they are treasuring and guarding. Uh, and as I said, though, there's a problem with that uh, uh, because there are so many people exposed to the word, but it seems that the word seems to be having so little effect in so many people's lives. Well, is the problem with Scripture? Is somehow the word of God defective? Probably not, right? The problem probably lies elsewhere. And Jesus is aware of that. So uh, he doesn't stop there. He continues on and he Uh, is going to explain why the word for especially this audience who's hearing him, who in a very short time will kill him, right? While all his teaching is not being effective at transforming their life. And he goes on, he says, as the crowds are increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of Jonah. Um, and, and we didn't read, but in uh, the section before this we read last week, they, they asked Jesus for a sign, and it was part of their testing. They're challenging Jesus' authority. They, they're, they're questioning who Jesus is. And, and the reality is they're not searching for truth. Okay? Because the, the truth is that when for all of those people who were searching for truth and who really wanted to know who God was and, and to meet the Father and to seek Him. Jesus just got done saying, ask and you shall receive. What? Seek and you will find, right? Uh, it says they're seeking for a sign, but that word can mean seeking like seeking to find. It can also mean demanding for proof, right? 
They were not seeking truth. They were demanding proof. Well, why were they demanding proof? Well, Jesus says they're an evil generation. They, they are a people whose hearts are not bowed before God. They, they do not want God to be Lord over their life and to tell them how to live their life. And so along comes Jesus who claims to be, and, and who, by who all accounts, the, the signs are pointing to him as the Messiah, the king, right? the rightful ruler over Israel. Why do they want a sign? Well, they want a sign because they recognize that if Jesus really is the Messiah, if he really was sent from God and he really is who we say he is, then his word is law and he is Lord and you better bow before him. Were they willing to do that? No, right? Because they were evil. Their hearts were bent against God and they wanted to keep control and lordship over their own life. They did not want to bow before Jesus. So they got to get out from underneath the weight of his authority, okay? the weight and authority of his word. Well, how do you do that? Well, you, you ask for proof, right? You, you judge and criticize and doubt him until he can prove beyond a shadow of about, a doubt that he is who he say he is. Right? So they're not seeking truth. They're looking for an excuse not to yield their life to Christ. And, and for that, Jesus says there is no sign, right? Um, it's not that God's not giving signs. He's giving signs every day. I mean, look at it. People are getting healed. Demons are getting cast out. People are being raised from the dead. You, I mean, what more signs could you ask for, right? Eventually, Jesus himself will be raised from the dead and will ascend to heaven. There's no more better signs than that. Um, Jesus says, if those aren't working, here's the only sign that you get. And it is the sign of Jonah. Well, what is the sign of Jonah? Well, in, a lot of people get a little misdirected uh, in, in this passage because they remember what Matthew said about the sign of Jonah. You remember what in the, the account of Matthew it says the sign of Jonah is? It says, as Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days, right? Um, and that's true. But in the context of Luke, it's, uh, that's not what, what, what Jesus is saying here. Uh, he expands and broadens it a bit. Now, it's true, surely, that Jesus' whole life, his, all of his teaching, his death, resurrection, and ascension are, are a sign. Uh, but uh, Luke emphasizes a different part of that sign. Um, and specifically, uh, as we look at the context, we see what that sign is. So let's read on in verse 30. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Okay, what is, what is Queen, Queen of Sheba, Queen of the South, what is she seeking? She's seeking truth. She's seeking the wisdom of Solomon. Right? Uh, and someone greater than, than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will, Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at what? They repented because Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days? No. Uh, that may have given credibility to his message. Right? Uh, it's like, wow, that's impressive. We should hear what this guy has to say. But what did they repent at? Well, his preaching. They repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. 
What is the sign of Jonah? Well, the sign of Jonah is the preaching of the word of God. Jonah went to Nineveh and he preached the word of God and people responded appropriately to the message they heard. Jesus says, look, the the only sign you're going to get is my message. The truth of what I'm proclaiming is the only hope for you. If you can't receive the truth of what and seek the truth in what I am saying, all the miracles in the world will have no effect on you. They cannot change your heart. Um, And and he talks about these ironically famous Gentiles. And he, he speaks about two cases who will rise up in judgment and condemn this generation. Strong and powerful words. The first was this Queen of Sheba. Uh, a Gentile queen and a woman, no less. Right? So for a Jewish, especially the scribes and Pharisees and Jewish leaders, they look, a woman, a Gentile woman, no less, is going to stand up in judgment and she is going to bear witness against you. Why? Because she was desperate for truth. Here's a woman who is queen, who is very powerful, but she had the humility and understanding of her own life that she did not know everything. She did not have life figured out. She did not have all the answers. She did not have the corner of the market on truth. Uh, And she wanted to know the truth. She wanted to know how to rule her life and her kingdom well, and she needed answers. So what did she do? Well, she Googled it, wisdom. And up comes Solomon, king of Israel, And so she downloads Google Maps and she gets on her camel and she drives uh, with her GPS to Solomon. And she knocks on his door and she says, I am looking for truth. Can you help me? I need wisdom. Can you help me? And she listened to the wisdom of Solomon. What is the wisdom of Solomon? Well, it's the wisdom of God come through Solomon. She was attentive. And it says she came from the, the Bible says she came from the ends of the earth. Okay. This was not an easy trip. She came a great distance searching for truth. She will judge this generation that Jesus is speaking to because they were not seeking truth. They thought they knew it all. And they weren't about to let some Jesus guy tell them what to think or believe because they felt they knew it all. Same with the people of Nineveh, godless pagan nation who are actually the enemies, enemies of Israel. Uh, they too will stand up and judge the the generation that Jesus was speaking to because when they heard the message preached, what did they do? They did not question it. They didn't ask for signs. They didn't doubt it. They actually believed it and responded by repenting, by changing their life in light of the word and the truth that they heard. And in both these cases, Jesus says something, it's interesting, he says something is great, greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. Uh, I would have said someone greater than Jonah because Jonah, you know, actually was, well, kind of defective. He, he was probably not the hero of the prophets, right? The runaway prophet uh, was nobody's, like, role model. But... Uh, certainly one greater than than Jonah, one greater than Solomon was here in the person of Christ. But he doesn't say the one. He says something. And what he's speaking here is is the truth of the message of the gospel. A greater message is here, but you are not paying attention to it. Um, 
the point Jesus is making here is that our heart response, how we respond to the Word, is of vital importance. Exposure to the Word is good, but it's meaningless unless we respond appropriately to what we hear. Um, and, And here's the reality. If we're constantly struggling with things in our life and you want it fixed, you don't need necessarily more exposure to the Word, but you need to ask yourself, how am I not responding to what God is telling me? What is God asking me to do with the truth that he is putting before me that I'm ignoring, that I'm not putting into action? Um, Well, Jesus moves on, and uh, there's one more piece to this that he wants to make clear. And so he illustrates this um, uh, to illustrate the problem that's, that's going on here by giving a, a, a word picture, an analogy. He says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Uh, Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. What is he talking about here? Um, He uses this picture, uh, and he says that that, uh, nobody lights a lamp and puts it in the basement. The picture is this. Uh, You're at home at your house before the days of electricity, (laughs) and you have some company coming over, uh, and it's sunset. The sun's going down. It's getting dark outside. And uh, outside, there's still the fading remnants of light and the the moon's coming up. And so your friends, as they travel, they'll be able to see. But inside your dark stone house, it's really dark, pitch black. And uh, when when people get there, uh, they're not going to be able to see anything. So you light your lamp. You light your lantern and you put it up on a stand. You don't put it in the basement because it will have no effect there. You don't uh, put it under a bucket, right? Because the point of light is what? So people can see, right? So they can see their way around the house. Um, is anybody here afraid of the dark? Be honest. Remember, we're supposed to be honest. There's one. Maybe not now, but maybe when you were littler, were you afraid of the dark? I was terrified. I was terrified of the dark, right? Would never admit it to anybody. It was not about being honest then. But uh, I remember when, my, when I was a kid, one of the things I had to do was go was feed our dog. And uh, our dog was kept, we lived out way up in the mountains, uh, no street lights, no, no lights anywhere, right? And uh, our dog's house pen was out behind our house. And so uh, in the summer it was great because it was daylight, but at night a lot of times we get home, it would be dark, and it would be just pitch black. And I would have to take the little can of dog food out and feed the dog. And what happens in the dark? <clears throat> well, um, to, to get this picture... You've got to understand in this story what, what, what light represents. What light represents is truth. And truth is simply what is real. When the lights are on, you can see reality as it is. But what happens in the dark? Well, as I would go out to feed this dog, uh, and it was all dark, and I couldn't see anything, what takes over? Well, your imagination, Right. And in the dark, I was, I was absolutely certain there were bears there and mountain lions 
and, and gangsters and packs of wolves and ghosts and goblins. And I mean, my imagination would just go crazy, right? And I was terrified. So I'd, I, got, I dumped the food in the dog dish and I would sprint back in absolute terror all the way to the house, right? Crash in the door and then I composed. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm not afraid, right? Because when you can't see what's out there, you don't know what reality is. You come up with your own version of it. That's what he's talking about. He's saying that um, light uh, is, is God's truth. And God's truth is simply the facts about what is real. Right? The facts about what is real. When we know what the truth is about the world we are living in, and we are clear about what we see, then we can act accordingly. Um, but in the absence of truth, our imaginations will, will take over and we'll make up our own version of it. That's not what is real. And this works two ways. It can work, uh, firstly, um, you know, if we're, if we're walking in the dark, we can convince ourselves as we get older, we do this, we convince ourselves everything is okay, right? But the reality is we could be walking along on some path in the dark headed towards a thousand foot cliff. But we've convinced ourselves, I know where I'm going. I've been here before. I know this road. Everything's okay. But is, every, is that the truth? Well, it may not be, right? So it could put us at great danger. Uh, or the other thing that can happen is that um, we imagine dangers and, and problems that aren't there. And so we, we let our imaginations go and we live in, in, in fear and terror of things we should not. Because um, we don't know that our dad is right behind, right behind us, walking with us, protecting us. Um, but we, we live in terror because we don't know the truth. Well, God has given us light. He's given us his word in the message of Christ to tell us how things really are. Uh, to tell us the truth about ourselves, the truth about the world we live in, and the truth about who God is and what he wants to do in our life. Um, and when we see all of that with absolute clarity, when we know and understand the truth, we know the way things really are in the world, we can make decisions about that based on that truth. If we know the truth is we are standing before God under tremendous judgment, and we are about to be dropped off the precipice into condemnation, into judgment and wrath, well, if we know that, and we know that's what's real, what will we do about it? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm going to look for help. I'm going to look for a rescuer. And when I know the truth is that Jesus is the one who is the rescuer, who has, who has bridged that gulf, who has taken my judgment on himself, right? I am going to turn to him with all my heart, and I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to grab hold of him as my Savior. Right? So truth has that effect. And the reality is when, when we are convinced something is true, the decisions get really easy, right? If you're driving along about ready to go up a cliff and you see the signs that say, danger, slow down, stop, you know, you don't have to pray about it, right? It's obvious, okay? The bridge is out. I need to stop, right? It gets easy. It's when we don't know the truth and we're, we're imagining what's out there that life gets so complicated. Uh, so, so the point here, Jesus says, uh, Light is, is given so that people who enter can find their way around. God has made his light abundantly available. Okay, the word is everywhere. There is huge exposure to the light all around us. The problem is not that 
it's under a bushel or it's in the basement or it's not visible. The message is clear. But there still is a problem. And the problem is this. He says, um, but your eye, your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Right? God has given us light and he's also given us an organ, a capacity to see the light, our eye. Right? And in the physical sense, this is true. When our eyes are good, when we can see well, in a sense, our whole world is full of light. Um, we don't have to use our imagination to fill in the blanks. We can see how things really are. So we can know when we're safe or when we're in trouble or we can, we can enjoy the beauty of creation. We can take it all in. So it's not only outside, but it fills our life with the light of the wonderful reality around us. Uh, and the same is true spiritually. And when, our, when our eyes are good, we have 20-20 vision. Life is good. It's full of light. We see physical world. We see the spiritual world with our spiritual eyes. We understand who God is and what he is about. And it's easy to make decisions. It's easy to know what to do. It's easy to live life in the kingdom. But what happens if we are blind? What happens if our, our vision is bad? And you see, Jesus is saying to this crowd, your problem is not the word. Your problem is not signs. Your problem is your own spiritual vision. You are blind to the truth that is shining everywhere around you. You cannot see it because you have bad eyes. And the result is that your life is filled with darkness. So Jesus gives these words. He says, watch out. Be very careful. Lest the light that's in you is what? Is darkness. And what does he mean by that? Well, he says, I love the word. He says, literally, you could translate it, watch out. <laughs> Open your eyes. Look around. Be careful. Lest your eyes are so bad that the light that is in you is darkness. Well, how can that be? How can light be darkness? Well, um, let me explain it this way. When I was in fourth grade, I had this, uh, this teacher who was, I think, about 400 years old. Um, I don't really know how old she was, but she was white-haired, um, uh, definitely an older lady, very old-school teacher, great teacher, very loving, but very old-school firm, right? Her class was in order. And I remember one day in class, uh, sitting in the very back row of the classroom in my little metal desk um, and she in her very stern voice calls on little Timmy, that was me, in the very back row to stand up and read what was on the chalkboard. And I was uh, a pretty good reader and, uh, you know, I had uh, passed the first three grades and so I could read, right? So this wasn't hard. So I stood up and all of a sudden as I looked at the chalkboard at the front of the room, by the way, chalkboard, you know what those are? Okay, just checking. Chalkboard in the front of the room. Um, I, the, the, the letters were just all jumbled together. And I stood up there and I stumbled and mumbled and I, I could not make out one single word. And after going, bah, 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 for about, it seemed to me like an eternity, she said, thank you, Tim, you can sit down now. And I sat down and I was just so humiliated and embarrassed. I just felt like, you know, I thought I was a good student and all of a sudden I turned into an idiot. And, and the teacher just proved it that I no longer could read. And I just felt I was, I was just horrified. And I, 
I didn't know what happened, right? What happened? What happened to me, right? And, and the teacher did not say a word about this, right? Did not say a word. But several days later, I find myself in, a, in an eye doctor, it's doctor's office, right? And I'm getting this eye exam, and lo and behold, I'm half blind. But do I know I'm half blind? No, I have no clue. I have no idea, right? Because why? Because the light that was in me was darkness. I knew what I knew. I didn't know there was something else. And I remember the doctor gives me these glasses, and I put these glasses on, and all of a sudden there was a world out there. And I drove home, and I remember my first sight, uh, we lived up in the mountains, and I remember seeing these, these mountains, and they were beautiful, covered with trees. Who knew? All the time I thought they were just like these big globby monster things, right? There's trees, and there's houses, and there's... It's like uh, the world was just new to me, right? And I realized that the light that was in me before was darkness, right? Because I thought I knew, I thought I could see. I didn't know any, there was a different world, right? So Jesus is saying, he says, Beware, lest you think you know what you're seeing when you're not. When you think you have it figured out, but in reality, you are blind to the truth. You have so convinced yourself that your version of reality, your imagination is truth, and you are blind and you're content to stay that way because you don't know there is anything different. You need to get your eyes checked. That's what Jesus is saying to this crowd. You need to get your eyes checked because a lot of you need like spiritual LASIK surgery quickly because you're not seeing the truth. So, um, So how do we do that? What does it mean to get our eyes checked? Well, uh, let me quickly go through from this passage some things I think Jesus would say. I came up with my own list. I decided it was better to talk about what Jesus said. (laughs) It's always good to do that. Um, But there may be other things that could cause you to have bad vision. But here's the things that Jesus talked about in this passage. First of all, proud and haughty eyes. It was an evil generation. They wanted a sign because they... They were convinced they didn't need to seek the truth. Right? They thought they had it figured out. They thought they knew all the answers. And they were unwilling to bow before the authority of God's word. Right? They were proud. Uh, and, and, and the reality is that if scripture is authoritative, it must be obeyed. And for a lot of people, they, they will not see the truth because they fail to see the authority the absolute authority of Scripture is a huge deal. Right? And, and throughout history, from, from the Apostle Paul's day until this very day, one of the great uh, efforts of Satan has been to do what? Well, to dismantle and discredit the authority of Scripture. And so today, and you can read this, all kinds of all kinds of people, and it's gro- a growing trend where more and more Christians do not hold to the Bible as God's word, as authoritative, meaning all of its words are inspired by God, a message from him with power and authority to speak truth to our life. Okay, if, you, if you don't believe this is God's word, that God's big enough to get it to us in, in a condition that's still pretty well preserved and pretty much what he intended to say, you're not going to see the truth. Because what you're going to do is you're going to look at Scripture and when there's things in it you don't like, you will just dismiss it. And say, well, 
That's not for this age. That's not for this time. That's not for me. You know, it was different back then. And in, in our world today, more and more people are saying, I don't have to live by the demands and the morals of Scripture because it's really not God's Word. God wouldn't say those things. <laughs> I think God would. And I think He did. Right? And I think He said them with authority and conviction because God's not confused. right? And, and God's big enough to get His Word through. When we, when we have proud and haughty eyes and we are looking for excuses not to bow our life before him, uh, we're not going to see the truth. We are going to be blind to it. So we need to check our heart and our, and our lives, and we need to be humble like, uh, like, like the Queen of the South, Queen of Sheba, who said, I don't know the answers. Right? Um, second thing, um, we, we need a, a, a humility that recognizes we must search for answers. Okay, that was the, the Queen of the South. She knew she did not have it figured out. Uh, here's the reality. Um, in our modern Christianity, we have made discipleship and Christian ed- education all about knowing the facts and information of Scripture. And uh, we have this idea that if I know all that the Bible teaches, I'm mature. I have it figured out. Right? I can pass the test. Right? I can get a grade A. Um, the problem with that is that uh, when we know the stories, and, and I know this, I've encountered this, people who know the Bible inside out and backwards, uh, but they're not applying it to their life. And, and what happens is they come to church and they hear the preacher stand up to give a sermon and they start listening and they go, oh, I know this story. I've heard this. I've heard this 10,000 times. I preach this myself. I've written books on it. I did my doctoral dissertation on this. There's nothing this guy can tell me that I don't already know. And so the guy preaches, and sure enough, he does not say anything that you do not already know. And you say, see, I know all this. I got it figured out. I know God's word. Well, if we have that attitude, we're asking the wrong question. The question is not, do you know it? The question is, what are you doing with it? I don't care how many times I hear a story, you hear a story, we hear the word. We should always be asking, God, this is your word. What are you telling me this time that I missed the last 50 times that I need to do to respond adequately to your truth? I know I get up here every week and I tell you stuff you already know. And I know a lot of you could preach it better. I know that. It's irrelevant. The question we should be asking is, God, what do you want me to do with what I'm hearing? What are you saying to me that I need to be practicing that I'm not? Um, That was the Queen of Sheba. She was seeking truth. She wanted her eyes opened so that when she saw the world the way it really was, she would know what to do and how to live within that reality. Third thing, last thing. Um... We just don't like what we read. Right? Uh, Jonah goes to Nineveh, and um, you know he, his his message. If you read Jonah, it's great. His message is like the short, shortest sermon ever. It's like God's going to judge you. You're dying. You're, your your days are up. Prepare to die. Right? Pretty much his message. Okay, this is not like real politically correct. He's using all the wrong words, like 
wrath, judgment, sin, you know. Where's the love? Like, where's the, the, you know, the God is love thing? Okay, that was not his message, right? And it would have been very easy to, for the Ninevites to say, hey, you're just, a, you're just a pessimist. You're just a gloomy bad guy, right? Uh, but they accepted his message as unpopular as it was, as painful as it may have been. They said, what did they say? They said, this sounds like truth. And the truth is God's about to wipe us out. We better do something about it. Right? Uh, in the world today, again, uh, people want to talk about how loving God is. And believe me, God is loving. That is a truth. But God is also a God of wrath and judgment who has proven many times through Scripture that he has no qualms wiping people out because of sin. Right? That he takes sin seriously and he will go to great lengths to bring judgment on sin, which, by the way, is love, by the way. Right? He does that because he loves the people that are being damaged by sin. Um, we, we need to be not making God in our own image. Right? And the problem is we get very nearsighted, right? We see only me. And we want to hear the word that's convenient and suitable to me. Uh, we're not really searching for the whole truth of who God is, even though it may not be comfortable or convenient for me personally. Um, and, and here is the truth. Here's the whole painful truth. The truth is that you and I are far worse as human beings than we would ever dare to admit. You know, if we think we're struggling, we think our life is a mess, if we really knew the whole truth about how bad we really were, right, we should all be suicidal. And we would by, be, except that that's not the whole truth, right? That's part of the truth, of the bad news. And, and, and the truth is that because of our wickedness, we are under God's judgment. We are deserving of his wrath. We are deserving of punishment, the, consequ the natural consequences of sin. But, of course, that's not the whole story. That is not the whole picture of truth. Um, the other side of the equation is that uh, the light comes in to restore everything. I am far worse as a human being than I would ever dare admit, but God is far more gracious, loving, and kind than I could ever begin to imagine. That's the rest of the truth. And we need the spiritual eyes to see that. Um, so the problem is not God's word. The problem is not even our exposure to God's word. Uh, the ultimate problem is our eyes. Right? The word is not having the impact because we're not looking at it through whole eyes. We need glasses. And Jesus ends with this amazing promise. He says in verse 36, If then your whole body is full of light, having no dark part. Okay, so in other words, we got our eyes fixed. We got good vision. We can now see the truth. And now our life is flooded with the light of truth. And it's touching every part of our heart and soul so that eventually there's no dark place. There's no hidden corners. There's no secrets. The, the worst there is about you is exposed under God's word and his light shines on it. Uh, it exposes you, but it heals you. And it says, then we will be wholly bright 
as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. In other words, Jesus says here, look, when you get your vision fixed and you soak in God's truth, it changes you to be light just like God. Isn't that amazing? Is that struggling and messed up and troubled? No. That is a life that is radiant with the holiness and glory of Christ. That is being transformed and changed. Now, does this happen overnight? No. And, and, and could it be that we'll struggle with some things our whole life? Maybe. But, but God's hope and promise for you is that uh, we would truly see his truth in ways that is life-impacting, where his word is changing us moment by moment. Um, as I said, we measure spiritual maturity often by our Bible knowledge and by how busy we are serving God. But I think, according to this passage, Jesus would measure maturity differently. He would measure maturity not by what you know about the Bible, but how the Bible is transforming you so that you are like him. Uh, and, And that's what he wants. That's what it means to live life in his kingdom. It's not about how busy you are serving and doing ministry, but it's by the fruit your life is actually producing for his glory and his kingdom. And God will do that through his word at work in your life when you see it clearly. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Thank you.